Letter 11 of Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Moser. Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania by John Dickinson. Letter 11. Beloved Countrymen, I have several times in the course of these letters mentioned the late Act of Parliament as being the foundation of future measures injurious to these colonies. And the belief of this truth I wish to prevail because I think it necessary to our safety. A perpetual jealousy respecting liberty is absolutely requisite in all free states. The very texture of their constitution, in mixed governments, demands it. For the cautions with which power is distributed among the several orders imply that each has that share which is proper for the general welfare, and therefore that any further imposition must be pernicious. Machiavel employs a whole chapter in his discourses to prove that a state to be long-lived must be frequently corrected and reduced to its first principles but of all states that have existed there never was any in which this jealousy could be more proper than in these colonies for the government here is not only mixed but dependent which circumstance occasions a peculiarity in its form of a very delicate nature two reasons induce me to desire that this spirit of apprehension may be always kept up among us in its utmost vigilance the first is this that as the happiness of these provinces indubitably consists in their connection with great britain any separation between them is less likely to be occasioned by civil discords if every disgusting measure is opposed singly and while it is new for in this manner of proceeding every such measure is most likely to be rectified on the other hand oppressions and dissatisfactions being permitted to accumulate if ever the governed throw off the load they will do more a people does not reform with moderation the rights of the subject therefore cannot be too often considered explained or asserted and whoever attempts to do this shews himself whatever may be the rash and peevish reflections of pretended wisdom and pretended duty a friend to those who injudiciously exercise their power as well as to them over whom it is so exercised had all the points of prerogative claimed by charles i been separately contested and settled in preceding reigns his fate would in all possibility have been very different and the people would have been content with that liberty which is compatible with regal authority but he thought 
it would be as dangerous for him to give up the powers which at any time had been by usurpation exercised by the crown as those that were legally vested in it this produced an equal excess on the part of the people for when their passions were excited by multiplied grievances they thought it would be as dangerous for them to allow the powers that were legally vested in the crown as those which at any time had been by usurpation exercised by it acts that might by themselves have been upon many considerations excused or extenuated derived a contagious malignancy and odium from other acts with which they were connected they were not regarded according to the simple force of each but as parts of a system of oppression every one therefore however small in itself being alarming as an additional evidence of tyrannical designs it was in vain for prudent and moderate men to insist that there was no necessity to abolish royalty nothing less than the utter destruction of monarchy could satisfy those who had suffered and thought they had reason to believe they always should suffer under it the consequences of these mutual distrusts are well known but there is no other people mentioned in history that i recollect who have been so constantly watchful of their liberty and so successful in their struggles for it as the english this consideration leads me to the second reason why i desire that the spirit of apprehension may be always kept up among us in its utmost vigilance the first principles of government are to be looked for in human nature some of the best writers have asserted that it seems with good reason that government is founded on opinion custom undoubtedly has a mighty force in producing opinion and reigns in nothing more arbitrarily than in public affairs it gradually reconciles us to objects even of dread and detestation and i cannot but think these lines of mr pope as applicable to vice in politics as to vice in ethics vice is a monster of so horrid mean as to be hated needs but to be seen yet seen too oft familiar with her face we first endure then pity then embrace when an act injurious to freedom has been once done and the people bear it the repetition of it is most likely to meet with submission for as the mischief of the one was found to be tolerable they will hope that of the second will prove so too and they will not regard the infamy of the last because they are stained with that of the first indeed nations in general are not apt to think until they feel and therefore nations in general have lost their liberty for as violations of the rights of the governed are commonly not only specious but small at the beginning they spread over the multitude in such a manner as to touch individuals but slightly thus they are disregarded the power or profit that arises from these violations centering in few persons 
is to them considerable for this reason the governors having in view their particular purposes successfully preserve an uniformity of conduct for attaining them they regularly increase and multiply the first injuries till at length the inattentive people are compelled to perceive the heaviness of their burdens they begin to complain and inquire but too late they find their oppressors so strengthened by success and themselves so entangled in examples of express authority on the part of their rulers and of tacit recognition on their own part that they are quite confounded for millions entertain no other idea of the legality of power than that it is founded on the exercise of power they voluntarily fasten their chains by adopting a pusillanimous opinion that there will be too much danger in attempting a remedy or another opinion no less fatal that the government has a right to treat them as it does they then seek a wretched relief for their minds by persuading themselves that to yield their obedience is to discharge their duty the deplorable poverty of spirit that prostrates all the dignity bestowed by divine providence on our nature of course succeeds from these reflections i conclude that every free state should incessantly watch and instantly take alarm on any condition being made to the power exercised over them innumerable instances might be produced to shew from what slight beginnings the most extensive consequences have flowed but i shall select two only from the history of england henry the seventh was the first monarch of that kingdom who established a standing body of armed men this was a band of fifty archers called yeomen of the guard and this institution notwithstanding the smallness of the number was to prevent discontent disguised under the pretense of majesty and grandeur in sixteen eighty four the standing forces were so much augmented that rapin says the king in order to make his people fully sensible of their new slavery affected to muster his troops which amounted to four thousand well-armed and disciplined men i think our army at this time consists of more than seventy regiments the method of taxing by excise was first introduced amidst the convulsions of civil wars extreme necessity was pretended and its short continuance promised after the restoration an excise upon beer ale and other liquors was granted to the king one half in fee the other for life as an equivalent for the court of wards upon james the second's accession the parliament gave him the first excise with an additional duty on wine tobacco and some other things since the revolution it has been extended to salt candles leather hides hops soap paper pasteboard millboards scaleboards vellum parchment starch silks calicoes linens stuffs printed stained etc wire wrought plate 
coffee, tea, chocolate, etc. Thus a standing army and excise have, from the first slender origins, though always hated, always feared, always opposed, at length swelled up to their vast present bulk. These facts are sufficient to support what I have said. Tis true that all the mischiefs apprehended by our ancestors from a standing army and excise have not yet happened, but it does not follow from thence that they will not happen. The inside of a house may catch fire, and the most valuable apartments be ruined before the flames burst out. The question in these cases is not what evil has actually attended particular measures, but what evil in the nature of things is likely to attend them. Certain circumstances may for some time delay effects that were reasonably expected and that must ensue. There was a long period after the Romans had prorogued the command to Q. Publius Philo before that example destroyed their liberty. All our kings, from the revolution to the present reign, have been foreigners. Their ministers generally continued but a short time in authority, and they themselves were mild and virtuous princes. A bold, ambitious prince, possessed of great abilities, firmly fixed in the throne by descent, served by ministers like himself, and rendered either venerable or terrible by the glory of his successes, may execute what his predecessors did not dare to attempt. Henry the Fourth tottered in his seat during his whole reign. Henry the Fifth drew the strength of the kingdom into France to carry on his wars there, and left the commons at home, protesting that the people were not bound to serve out of the realm. It is true that the strong spirit of liberty subsists at present in Great Britain. But what reliance is to be placed in the temper of a people when the prince is possessed of an unconstitutional power, our own history can sufficiently inform us. When Charles the Second had strengthened himself by the return of the garrison of Tangier, England, says Rapin, saw on a sudden and amazing revolution, saw herself stripped of all her rights and privileges, excepting such as the king should vouchsafe to grant her. And what is more astonishing, the English themselves delivered up these very rights and privileges to Charles the Second, which they had so passionately, and, if I may say it, furiously defended against the designs of Charles the First. This happened only thirty-six years after this last prince had been beheaded. Some persons are of the opinion that liberty is not violated, but by such open acts of force. But they seem to be greatly mistaken. I could mention a period within these forty years when almost as great a change of disposition was produced by the secret measures of a long administration as by Charles's violence. Liberty, perhaps, is never exposed to so much danger as when the people believe there is the least, for it may be subverted, and yet they not think so. Public disgusting acts 
are seldom practised by the ambitious at the beginning of their designs such conduct silences and discourages the weak and the wicked who would otherways have been their advocates or accomplices it is of great consequence to allow those who upon any account are inclined to favour them something specious to say in their defence the power may be fully established though it would not be safe for them to do whatever they please for there are things which at some times even slaves will not bear julius caesar and oliver cromwell did not dare to assume the title of king the grand seigneur dares not lay a new tax the king of france dares not be a protestant certain popular points may be left untouched and yet freedom be extinguished the commonality of venice imagine themselves free because they are permitted to do what they ought not but i quit a subject that would lead me too far from my purpose by the late act of parliament taxes are to be levied upon us for defraying the charge of the administration of justice the support of civil government and the expenses of defending his majesty's dominions in america if any man doubts what ought to be the conduct of these colonies on this occasion i would ask them these questions has not the parliament expressly avowed their intention of raising money from us for certain purposes is not this scheme popular in great britain will the taxes imposed by the late act answer those purposes if it will must it not take an immense sum from us if it will not is it to be expected that the parliament will not fully execute their intention when it is pleasing at home and not opposed here must not this be done by imposing new taxes will not every addition thus made to our taxes be an addition to the power of the british legislature by increasing the number of officers employed in the collection will not every additional tax therefore render it more difficult to abrogate any of them when a branch of revenue is once established does it not appear to many people invidious and undutiful to attempt to abolish it if taxes sufficient to accomplish the intention of the parliament are imposed by the parliament what taxes will remain to be imposed by our assemblies if no material taxes remain to be imposed by them what must become of them and the people they represent if any person considers these things and yet not thinks our liberties are in danger i wonder at that person's security one other argument is to be added which by itself i hope will be sufficient to convince the most incredulous man on this continent that the late act of parliament is only designed to be a precedent whereon the future vassalage of these colonies may be established every duty thereby laid on articles of british manufacture is laid on some commodity upon the exportation of which from great britain a drawback is payable those drawbacks in most of the articles are exactly double 
to the duties given by the late act the parliament therefore might in half a dozen lines have raised much more money only by stopping the drawbacks in the hands of the officers at home on the exportation to these colonies than by these solemn impositions of taxes upon us to be collected here probably the artful contrivers of this act formed it in this manner in order to reserve to themselves in case of any objections being made to it this specious pretence that the drawbacks are gifts to the colonies and that the act only lessens those gifts but the truth is that the drawbacks are intended for the encouragement and promotion of british manufacturers and commerce and are allowed on exportation to any foreign parts as well as on exportation to these provinces besides care has been taken to slide into the act some articles on which there are no drawbacks however the whole duties laid by the late act on all the articles therein specified are so small that they will not amount to as much as the drawbacks which are allowed on parts of them only if therefore the sum to be obtained by the late act had been the sole object in forming it there would not have been any occasion for the commons of great britain to give and grant to his majesty rates and duties for raising a revenue in his majesty's dominions in america for making a more certain and adequate provision for defraying the charge of the administration of justice the support of civil government and the expenses of defending the said dominions nor would there have been any occasion for an expensive board of commissioners and all the other new charges to which we are made liable upon the whole for my part i regard the late act as an experiment made of our disposition it is a bird sent over the waters to discover whether the waves that lately agitated this part of the world with such violence are yet subsided if this adventurer gets footing here we shall quickly be convinced that it is not a phoenix for we shall soon see it followed by others of the same kind we shall find it rather to be of the breed described by the poet in felix vatis a direful foreteller of future calamities a farmer end of letter eleven